Welcome to the Bay Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy the message. You can find out more about us on our website at thebaychurch.co.uk. So put your hands together, clap your hands and stamp your feet for Mr. Paul. Woo! If you've not read Paul's book, it's available, and his second book is nearly available. Is that right? Is that all right for you? Yeah, it's perfect. I'm a bit worried you brought a box, but I'm all right. (laughs) Right. Uh, Is this on? Is it on? Yeah, right, great. Oh, hallelujah. Right, um, I want to talk to you about living in the presence of power where victory is assured. That sounds exciting, doesn't it? Um, So I wrote my first book. Uh, It's based upon ancient Hebrew culture, which is actually the culture of the Bible. Uh, And this book here, this is the second uh, book. This is the, uh, I didn't realize at the time, but this is what you've all been waiting for. Okay, this is anointed for victory. Now what's important is what did the anointing mean for the people of the Bible? because anointing is not part of our culture today, not in the same way. And this book up here, it's nearly ready. Alan's doing the foreword. Thank you, Alan. Um, uh, 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 And I've got a copy here, which is ready. Uh, And this is here, uh, on here, this is the first book. I've still got copies of these. Now this one here, this one's called uh, Inheriting Sonship, The Blessing of Abraham and the Anointing of Kings. This is the foundation for victorious life. Abraham left his house and home and all the rest of it because he was looking for a city whose builder and foundation was God. Now, the city of God is not a Disney castle in the sky. Okay? We are taught in our churches today that salvation is all about dying. But it's not. It's about life. It's about the life of God in our hearts, no matter whether we live or die. And so this book is a sequel and companion volume to inheriting sonship, uh, the blessing of uh, Abraham and the anointing of kings, and it examines from Abraham's perspective how to live practically in the anointing of overcoming victory and resurrection power of divine life. Uh, It also includes a commentary on Revelation from Abraham's perspective. So it's not about missiles and nuclear bombs and all that sort of thing. It's what Revelation would have meant to the Hebrew prophets. So that's, uh, uh, and that's there. And this is from my book. It says, Jesus calls people to follow him by humbling themselves to become like him in his death so that they can become sons of God together with him in his resurrection. That's not after death, that's today. And so by becoming one with Jesus, we become supernatural and not natural. We become extraordinary and not ordinary. We become divine, hallelujah for that, and not devilish, And we are reunited with the breath of divine life. We participate in Jesus' divine nature. And we experience the very same anointing and live uh, or abide in the presence of power where victory is assured. Now the problem is, I've just said some great words. But without the personal manifestation of God, these words are just nice words. And anyone can talk nice words. And the problem with religion, church religion, is that people sit in churches like this all their lives listening to nice words 
in the hope that one day they're going to die and go to heaven. That's not the gospel. Now, in linguistics, a false friend is a word shared between two different languages that sounds the same, but it has a different meaning. And the same could be said about words shared between our culture today and Abraham's culture 4,000 years ago. If you said to Abraham, Abraham, or Aby baby, are you saved? Abraham wouldn't know what we were talking about. If we said, Abraham, if you haven't prayed the sinner's prayer, you're going to burn in hell, Abraham would say, oh, sorry, I don't know what you're talking about. For Abraham, there was no such thing as hell. Yet it's so foundational in modern churches, actually you can miss the point. And so what I want to talk to you is the way of victory, and I'm going to speak to you in ancient Hebrew culture. And so within ancient Israel, prophets, priests, and kings were anointed with fragrant anointing oil in the name of Jehovah. And Jehovah is the name of God. It means I am, I was, and I will be to come. Or shortened Yah, it means I am that which I am being. And so the name of Jehovah was the expression of God's behavior, character, and personality. That's God's name. It's how he is. It's how he behaves. And the prophets were anointed to speak the living words of God. The priests were anointed to mediate and bring the blessing of God's forgiveness and mercy. And the kings were anointed to bring the salvation of overcoming victory. Now those who were anointed did not have the power within themselves to accomplish anything for God. And so what God did was he spoke the word over them, but the fragrance of the actual present tense, presence of Almighty God was in the fragrance of the oil that entered into the personality of the prophet or priest or king. And it enabled them to achieve their purpose in God. So here, I'll show you God. Here, I've got God here. Where's God? Uh, okay, so this is God. Right? It's an angry bird, those of you who are listening. It's an angry bird. This is God. Okay? And inside of God, okay, this is the Holy Spirit. In Hebrew culture, whatever you think spirit is, actually, it means personality in Hebrew culture. So inside God there, that's the, that's the breath of God, that's the Holy Spirit, or the personality of God. And so when God speaks his word, the fragrance of his word comes out, and the anointing oil covers the head of the person anointed, and it enters into their personality, and it changes them to be able to achieve purpose for God. Okay? Now it's often said, if you want something, do it yourself. And in the things of God, that's true. What God does is he anoints people with himself. The fragrance of God enters into people and it changes them to be like Jesus. And so it says this in Isaiah 40, verse 3, A voice crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way for Jehovah. Okay, make straight uh, in the desert a highway for our God. And so John was the voice crying in the wilderness, preparing the way for Jehovah. And so the price of sin was so great that only God could afford it. But only a man who'd never sinned could actually pay it. And so God himself was born as the man Jesus of Nazareth, but Jesus came to, be, to John to be baptized in order to take upon himself the corporate identity of fallen mankind. 
Okay, so here, this is God. He's in heaven. Okay, but what God does is he empties himself of God. So we've got God now. God's now hiding. Okay, and then God is then born as a man. So this, this here, uh, this represents, if I can get it off the crown. You have to wait for this. Uh, oh, there's the crown. <laughs> the crown of thorns has fallen on the floor. Sorry about that. <laughs> right, okay, so, so let's start again. We've got God there. He empties himself of God. He just becomes an ordinary man. There we have the incarnation of Jesus. So that's Jesus. This there, this red here, that represents the blood of Jesus. This is the body of Jesus, inside body. Obviously, God is there, but he's hidden. Okay? So it then says that Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized. And John said, I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me. But Jesus said, allow it for now to fulfill all righteousness. And then Jesus went down into the waters of baptism. He came out, and he heard the voice of God speaking, saying, this is my son, the beloved in whom I did delight. In Hebrew, the word beloved is the word for David. David was the beloved of God. And Jesus came as the son of Abraham, the heir of Abraham's promise. And he came as the son of David, the heir of David's crown and throne. And so when Jesus was baptized in the river Jordan by John, Jehovah God actually anointed Jesus bodily as a dove because Jesus actually was the incarnation of God. And Jesus came as the ultimate prophet, the ultimate priest, and the ultimate overcoming king. Now, I don't want to upset anyone's religion, but 4,000 years ago, there was no such thing as the Holy Trinity. And from Abraham's perspective, the Trinity is a cultural belief, and there's nothing wrong with that, but um, there's no such thing as right and wrong culture, but we're talking about Hebrew culture. And so Hebraically, Jesus' baptism was not a Trinitarian epiphany. Whatever that means, I've got no idea, but it's not one of them. That's why I'm wearing my anger management top, by the way. Um, I am TSN. I'm theologically subnormal, so I'm sorry about that. Yeah, you laugh, but I haven't got a clue. Um, Okay, so, right, now, so what we're going to do is we're going to try and do it, uh, do it properly here, if I can remember. This is God. God's in heaven. I've got some, ah, oh yes, here we are, look. Sorry about this, it's taken a bit of a while. So this is God in heaven. So God's up there. And this there, that's the light of God's love. Can you see that? So that's Jesus experiencing an open heaven. And so Jesus, now Jesus is not God, Jesus is you. This is what Paul said last or two weeks ago. He said what Jesus did for us, he did as us. And so Jesus is looking up on your behalf and he sees heaven open and he sees the light of God's love and that breath there, that, that wind, that's the breath of God. And that there is the words of God. And so God speaks, in, speaks his words like this. So God's in heaven. So I'm God now. And I'm speaking. Okay, and so I'm speaking the words, you are my son whom I love. Now, Jesus didn't hear that for himself because in Hebrew culture, Jesus wasn't God the son. This is God speaking to Jesus on your behalf so that we can share his identity as the sons of God. Okay, so, and then the, the, so the anointing, 
comes upon Jesus, and he's now, now remember, Jesus is just a humble carpenter. He is now wearing the crown uh, of the anointing of God's Son. So that's the crown that I told you about. So Jesus is now crowned with the actual presence or indwelling presence of God. Uh, we know he's God, but he emptied himself of God. And his, now his personality is now filled with God, and he is now the image of the invisible God. Okay? Now, originally, Adam was the first son of God. So I've just got a red glove here. So this glove here, this represents your body. When you were created in the, uh, before the Garden of Eden, you were just like this, you were dust. And what God did was, in the Garden of Eden, he didn't do this to the animals, but what he did was he filled you. Now, you see that silver glove? That's the actual presence of God in your heart when you were created. You were the image or the reflection of the invisible God, not physically, but you were filled with the breath of God's fatherhood, and you were the original son of God. But unfortunately, the devil came along, and Adam and Eve sinned, and we know that. And what they did was, Adam and Eve didn't physically die when they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What they did was, they gasped out God. And so God himself was gasped out of you and me by Adam and Eve. And Adam was left just like natural life, which couldn't sustain him forever. But it gets better. Okay, so, so if we go now to Matthew 17, it says, After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and took them up a high mountain, and he was transfigured. Fantastic. Now again, this is not a Trinitarian epiphany. Jesus wasn't transfigured as the God the Son in Hebrew culture. I'm not trying to sort out religion. I'm just saying that's a fact. But, <laughs> it, it, but Jesus was transfigured. Now the word there is metamorpho. So Jesus was transformed. And uh, Elijah and Moses appeared. And Peter said to Jesus, Sir, it's good for us to be here will make three booths, one for you, Moses, and one for Elijah. And as he was speaking, God spoke out of a cloud and said, This is my son, the beloved, whom I, in whom I delight. Listen to him. And so what happened to Jesus, if I can get the right glove, so Jesus was, was on the mountain as you. He was our representative, and he started to shine like this with the glory of God. Now, that's not the glory of God the Son. That's the glory of you filled with the personality of God. And that's God's purpose for you. He wants you to be filled with his presence, his personality. And on the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus, as the Son of Man, he came as the Son of Man, remember, the Son of Adam, the Son of David, the Son of Abraham. He displayed the glory of God that was originally given to Adam. Okay, so that's, that's you. Now, but listen, this is what it says in 2 Corinthians 3. It says, now the Lord is the spirit. I prefer the word personality because I, I, I don't quite understand spirit. But I understand personality. Now the Lord is the personality or the spirit. And where the spirit or personality of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with the same image, are being transformed from glory to glory even by the Spirit of the Lord. Now this is in 2 Corinthians 3. 
But the word used in the Greek is exactly the same word as transfigured in the other uh, scriptures that I just read. And the Bible translators decided to, to set Jesus apart from us by saying, well, Jesus is transfigured, but we're just transformed. And that's sad because Jesus came to share his identity as the Son of God with us today. Now, I'd like to show you actually how how, the, how it actually works. So if we've got Jesus is here. Uh, this is God uh, covered in the white. That means God's emptied himself there. And then we take the anointing. Now remember the anointing has entered into Jesus' personality as a man and changed him into the Son of God. And then we take the blood of Jesus, so that's his body. And then what God did was, God took a knife, sadly, but it had to happen, and Jesus died on the cross. Now we've got the cross there. What happened was, it says, I, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. God himself was Jehovah, was the shepherd. And so what happened was, Jesus' blood, Jesus said to God, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. In Hebrew culture, that would be breath or the breath of life. In Greek, it's the word pneuma, which means puff or blow. And so inside Jesus was the actual personality or the breath of God. And that released the breath of God, the personality of Jesus, to fill our hearts. So we can now share exactly the same identity as Jesus, as a man, as the Son of God. That's how it actually works. And so the River Jordan marked the barrier between the barren wilderness of natural life and the supernatural blessing of the promised land given to Abraham and his true descendants. And so the Israelites crossing the Jordan represented them dying to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. This came from the fall when Adam and Eve gasped out God and breathed in something else. And they were able to live a new life in the promises and blessing of God's fatherhood. Now at the time of Jesus, almost the whole nation came to John to humble themselves by picking up their crosses, by confessing their secret sins. Most sins are secret and are, are shameful. And they were prepared to, sh to confess their secret sins, be washed or cleansed by the water of the living word of God's forgiveness, and that was symbolized by the Jordan River. And this prepared their hearts to follow Jesus and one day receive the blessing of the same anointing that Jesus received on the day of Pentecost. So what Jesus received as his baptism was exactly the same thing that was poured out on the day of Pentecost. And John said, I baptize you with water, but there's one coming who's mightier than I. That's, of course, Jehovah. I'm, he's mightier than I. I'm not uh, worthy to unloose his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire, whose winnowing shovel in his hand. He will cleanse the floor. He will gather his wheat, that's us, into his storehouse, and the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Okay? So, if you imagine on the day of Pentecost, the, the disciples were crowned with the same anointing as Jesus, that meant that they were able to go out into the world and do what Jesus did. And that's exactly what happened. Yeah. 
if, if God always confirms his word with sign following, signs following, but God does not confirm the words of men, I can spout off religious theology until the cows come home, they never will. But if I speak the living words of God, and God will confirm his word with signs. So if you don't see any signs, it's not the word of God, even if it sounds scriptural. Okay, now, so, where are we up to? So, now it gets exciting. Because Jesus was just a humble carpenter. He was nobody special. It says in Isaiah that Jesus was actually a weed that grew out of uh, rough ground or a, or a, a dry shoot and that he had nothing in him to, that, that we should aspire to him. That was in Isaiah 53. But it says that, uh, uh, that Jesus... Now, in our modern culture, what would happen? Jesus came up out of the Jordan and a taxi would appear and he'd say, where are you, where are you taking me? And he'd say, oh, I'm going to take you into the wilderness. Oh, that's nice. You know, 50 miles out into the desert, I'm going to dump you there for 40 days. Hallelujah. And then you're going to... And the devil's coming. I mean, okay, so Jesus, full of the Spirit, turned back into, from the Jordan, and he was brought in by the Spirit into the wilderness, 40 days, tempted by the devil, and he was hungry. Now, it was only after Jesus received the anointing did Jesus go into the desert. Okay? And Jesus went to, into a private place to be victorious over the devil. And this isn't, Je this isn't God the Son facing down the devil. This is Jesus as you facing the devil in the power of the anointing. And that same anointing, the fragrant presence of God, is available to you. And so the devil said to him, If you're the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. And Jesus said, It is not uh, it is written, sorry, that man does not live on bread alone, but upon every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Now, as a man, Jesus knew that it was the perfect will of God as his Father to be in the wilderness. And Jesus had said on a previous occasion that the Son can only do what he sees his Father doing. Now, this is not patter cake baking time. Okay, the Father, you know, God wasn't making cakes right then. And so Jesus defeated the devil with the victorious, God-inspired, in-breathed, supernatural living words, it is written that man does not live on bread alone. And so as Jesus spoke with a, with a single blow, with the sword of the Spirit, Jesus defeated Satan's appeal to the lust of the flesh. And that means that those in the power of the anointing, the same anointing, if we can share in Jesus' identity as the Son of God, we can participate in the divine nature and we don't have to be enslaved by greed anymore. That's the victory that God wants us to have. And then, then it says that the devil took him to a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said, all these things I will give to you if you will bow down and worship me. And so the devil attempted Jesus to step outside of his Father's will by offering Jesus dominion upon the earth. Now we all know that Jesus is coming back. He's coming back with his bride to inherit the universe. He doesn't need to trade with the devil and start bowing down and doing all that stuff. And so because of the anointing, Jesus defeated the devil with the living word of God. Now that's not just quoting scripture. That's the inspired, the presence of God inspiring Jesus to speak the words. 
He said, you shall, not, you shall bow down before the Lord your God and serve him only. And because of the anointing, the breath of the living word of God dwelt within Jesus. This is the humble carpenter from Nazareth. And we know that Jesus is God, but he set all that aside apart. Uh, apart. So Jesus, with a single blow, the sword of the Spirit, he defeated Satan's appeal to the lust of the eyes. And those who participate in the power of that same anointing share Jesus' identity as the Son of God. They participate in the divine nature and we are no longer enslaved by the lusts of what we can see. Remember that the Son is the image of the invisible God. We are the image of the invisible God if we are filled with the breath and personality of God's fatherhood. That's our identity yeah. in Jesus. Now it gets exciting. We're going to do some skydiving. So the devil took Jesus to Jerusalem and he put him on the top of the temple. And he said, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written. He will give his angels charge over you to keep you. Their hands that shall bear you up lest you should dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said, It is written, you shall not test or tempt the Lord your God. And so the devil was attempting to get Jesus to step outside of his Father's will by suggesting, good suggestion, that skydiving off the roof of the temple without a parachute would force God into saving him and would win the admiration of the people. So you could go down to the Spanish city there, we could stand on the top, wave at people and say, look at me, and jump off. Now the devil had promised Jesus something. Whoa, one of the devil's promises. He said, the angel, he promised an angelic safety net, and Satan backed it up with a pathetic attempt to wield a puny sword by quoting scripture. Now don't get me wrong, scripture's wonderful, but we need the living Word of God. If we quote scriptures at each other, all it can do is give us a positive mental attitude, that's PMT, and a, you know, a hope of life after death. I love my Bible. So the devil huffed and he puffed, and he, but he couldn't blow Jesus' house down because Jesus lived upon every living word that proceeded from the mouth of God. And Jesus had no desire whatsoever in the pride of unbelief to, to publicly participate in a dan dangerous display of death-defying, daredevil duplicity by putting his father to the test. Jesus silenced the devil with the sword of the living word of God. You shall not put the Lord of God, your God to the test. And as Jesus spoke with a single blow, the living, inbreathed word of God defeated Satan's appeal to the pride of life. And those who, in the power of the anointing, share in Jesus' identity as the Son of God, participate in the divine nature and are no longer enslaved by pride. Now, what it says in John 1, sorry, 1 John 2, 27, but the anointing which you have received from him dwells within you or abides within you. You do not need any man to teach you, but as the same anointing, teaches you all things and is the truth and is no lie. Even it has taught you, you shall abide or live within him. Wow. That's sharing in Jesus' identity as the sons of God. 
that sharing in his father, that sharing in his life breath, that sharing in all he was, all he is, and all he ever will be. Now, Lara's going to slap me down now because I want to show you my dirty book. I've got a dirty book here. <laughs> Sorry, Lara. It gets better if I can find it. So I've brought into church a dirty book. Eesh. Here it is. Can you see how dirty it is? It's got a footprint on it. This is an old, dirty book. It's actually Lady Chatterley's lover. Now, I'm not making a comment about this particular book. I haven't read it. But it's been sealed by the Spirit. Oh, hallelujah. <laughs> right? What that means is, at the bottom here, there's a seal. Can you see that seal on the bottom? That's the blood of Jesus. Now, Jesus wouldn't read this sort of thing. If I'm sharing Jesus' identity as the Son of God, I'm inspired by the life's breath of Jesus, that's Jesus' personality, coming into me. I'm inspired not to touch this sort of thing. I can't open it. It's sealed. And on the top there, that's the gold of God's glory. It says, the Son can only do what he sees his Father doing. So I'm not making a literary uh, remark on this particular publication, but hallelujah, I don't have to touch unclean things anymore. They have no influence over me if I share in the power of the anointing. Hallelujah. Now, um, maybe you are living in a wilderness. Jesus got the anointing before he went into the wilderness to face down the devil. And what we need to do, if those who humble themselves in the waters of baptism into death, if we repent from unbelieving pride and self-centered egotistic life, if we're established in the same anointing of his own overcoming victory, we will experience exactly the same as what Jesus did. Jesus was ministered to by angels, and we will be. And we will emerge from our wilderness just like him with the true righteousness of walking in faith and love as he does, the God of peace will crush our enemy repeatedly under our feet. And so my dirty book here, there's a footprint on it. It's under my feet. But I have to receive the same anointing. And the only way I'm going to get the same anointing is by taking Jesus' hand and going down into the waters of baptism with Jesus, repenting from the lust of the, uh, lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, and coming out of the waters of baptism and seeing heaven open like Jesus did and hearing the word, the living word of God speaking to my heart, you are my son. Because the son can only do what he sees his father doing. And so, through the living faith of the immediate present tense fragrant anointing and inbreathed supernatural living words of the personality of God, we are enabled to subdue kingdoms. We can stand in righteousness. We can obtain promises. We can stop the mouths of lions. We can extinguish the power of fire. We can escape the grip of our, grip of our enemies. We can become strong in weakness. We can become victorious in battle. And we can overcome all the power of the enemy. There is nothing that we can come short of if the personality, or Holy Spirit, if you like, the personality of the presence of Almighty God becomes the prime mover in our thoughts, hearts, and life. When God wants something doing, he has to do it himself. When God, the Father, anoints his Son, that's us with himself, the fragrant breath of the actual personality of God's fatherhood that proceeds from God as a Father 
to the hearts of his son. The son bears the image and the reflection of his father. This is the anointing of the way of overcoming victory. Now I've said a whole lot of lovely words. Aren't they nice words? We could all congratulate. Oh, that was a nice preach. Oh, that was, wasn't that nice? Oh, yes, and then we all forget about it and come back next week. Well, when I was a kid, uh, I used to watch a fantastic TV program, and it was called Opportunity Knocks <laughs> with Huey Green. It's much better than uh, X Factor and all that stuff you have today. X Factor and that stuff, it's all about the judges. They're always talking about themselves. Oh, look at me, I've got some new makeup. Ooh. Anyway. <laughs> it's anyway, Huey Green. And what they used to do on Huey Green, it was a talent show. They used to have Make Your Mind Up time. Now, the, the thing is this, God's, God's coming here now. He's asking us, is there anything within us that's unlike Jesus? Are we gossiping? You know, some people say to me, talking to myself now, they say, I shouldn't say this, but if, if I say that to you, slap me down. Because if, we, if we're not going to say things to people's face, we shouldn't say it behind their back. And I'm speaking to me first. If we're reading things like Lady Chatterley's Lover, or if we're looking at pornography on our phones, or if we're doing anything that is not compatible with Jesus, we are not bearing his image. Now, we can live that way. Let me show you what I got from church. Now, I'm going to get slapped down for this. But can you see these? These are what I was wearing when I came to this bay, at the Bay Church more than 10 years ago now. Right? I'll have to, take, I'll have to put these on, right? Let me explain. I got these from church. There's a difference between the ecclesia and church. The ecclesia is a Greek word. That's the actual real word for church. And it's the called out ones. The people that are called out by the living word of God to live changed lives. Well, this was what I was wearing. These are gilt-edged, gold-plated, theologically inspired handcuffs. Now, you can see them, but I can't. Everything's rosy for me. You know, I'm under the blood, but I'm reading dirty books. I'm under the blood, but it doesn't matter because I'm saved. I'm going to heaven when I die. I'm justified by faith. God can't see my sin. This is what I got from church. But when I came to the bay, I couldn't. Alan slapped me down. He said, come on, we're not having any of that. And instead, Alan imparted to me this, and Alan imparted to me a crown. When I came here 10 years ago, whatever it was, my crown was tiny. It's bigger now, okay, but I'm living in the presence of power where victory is assured. I'm not going to do that sort of thing. And so this is, it's, this is what it's called. It's called make your mind up time. They used to have a clapometer. Okay? And when the audience clapped, there was this needle that went up and down on the bottom of the screen, you see? We're surrounded by a whole cloud of witnesses. They're all watching. Everybody knows the secret sins of your heart, apart from, apart from us, but the, the, the witnesses do. Okay, it's make your mind up time. And what, what we need to do, we need to come under the blood. Okay, that means, so, so here, I forgot to show you this one, this is the devil. Okay, a little green pig. Now, I'm not slandering celestial beings, don't panic, Mr. Mannerin. Okay, but what happens is, no, you have to be careful with these things. I know my Bible. And so what happens is, this is me, okay, I'm the devil, um, but uh, I go down into the waters of baptism, and so God forgives me, so I get 
my sins are washed away, and then I share in Jesus' anointing, so I come under the blood, and then God goes, oh, look, there's my son, and he anoints me with, 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 with his oil. I bear his image in life. This is what God wants. So it's make your mind up time. Are you going to be like Jesus? Is there anything wrong in your life? Because if there is, that is a little entry point for, this, for, for darkness. I'll show, I've got a demon here. I'll show you a demon. Okay. <laughs> there, right. This is a demon, okay? Uh, it looks like um, Ghostbusters to me, but anyway. A demon is simply a lying breath. Okay, so rejection is a lying breath. Okay? God is love. Okay? But the devil, what the devil does, through brokenness, he tries to sneak these things into our hearts. And so Jesus wants to set us free, he wants to forgive us, he wants to cleanse us. So, how about it? It's make your mind up time. One last thing to show you, uh, if I can find it. Ah, uh, uh, uh. oh, yes. Actually, there's two things. Right. Can you see this tiny little thing here? That thing that goes round and round. In Hebrew culture, that's redemption. Okay? Redemption isn't dying and going to heaven. Redemption is when God himself comes back into your heart. Because that's what was lost at the fall. Not going, and going to heaven. It was being filled with God. And this ruler here, this is righteousness in Hebrew culture. That means upstanding. It means true. It means honorable. It means right. It means justice, kindness, mercy, and life. Okay? Fallen, that's this down here. That's rubbish. That's garbage. That's something fallen. That's something dead. That's something that's thrown out. That's something dishonorable, crooked, twisted. Okay? And that, was, that happened at the fall. This line, the hypotenuse between the two as aspects of the ruler, that is the word in Hebrew, chata, like Lady Chatterley's lover, chata. And it means to sin, it means to miss the mark. And how far are we away from Jesus? Because in the power, if, we, if we humble ourselves and repent from our sins, I sound like the, uh, the old, uh, anyway, <laughs> repent from our, from our sins, little things, you know, what happens is the power of the blood moves us up to be righteous like Jesus. But it has to be real. Otherwise, these words that I've spoken, unless God comes and makes them live, it's just empty words. We need the words of God to be filled with a personal manifestation of God. Hallelujah. So, make your mind up time. So, Alan, we'll have, we'll, 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 we can pray. I feel like I need to pray. Wow. Not a, and not a puppet in sight. Wow. Huh. We're going to have the band back up. And I'm going to let Paul pray. Um, there's two yeah. things I felt when I was, there was a, quite a few things I felt. Um, uh, certainly with this, it was actually, there is a cloud of witnesses that's cheering us on. They're not judging us. They're going, come on. Come on. They're cheering us on. That's one of the things I felt today, Paul, that some people need cheered on. They need like, come on. Yeah. Come on. All of heaven's cheering them on. They need cheered on. 
And the second thing was, I'm scared to touch it, but the Holy Spirit here. And the third thing was, so put the Holy Spirit there, and the blood of Jesus. So the blood of Jesus makes us overcomers. So if you're struggling today, the blood of Jesus will help you overcome. And then he'll cover you with his spirit. Huh. So I'm going to get Paul to pray for us. Then I'm going to open the floor and you can come forward. Some of our ministry team will come forward. There's a whole thing. Did you do that? Yeah. Did you? Did I miss it? Oh, no, I forgot. You didn't. Here's the crown of thorns. I forgot to do that, but never mind. That's better. Take them off. So we're going to open the floor. If you want to come and get some prayer. You know, the essence of what Paul was saying here today for me was, was a cry. I think God's calling out to his church even more and more, which is that... Um, that call to purity. And often when you say that, you just instantly feel condemned. <laughs> you instantly feel, ugh. But actually, there's some very practical things that Paul shared today. Some really practical things. He's not calling us to purity without the power. See, so he's given us the power to live purity lives but we quite often try and do it without. And the whole cloud of witnesses is applauding us on. So there's going to be a little bit of a different kind of ministry time today. I certainly feel I'd like to applaud a few people. Um, if you want to come forward, you're welcome to do that. Pray for us, Paul. So um, I'll be... Uh, is this on? So I'll be doing some pop-up groups with Alan. He doesn't know it yet. It'll be called Anointed for Victory. Or we might call it Mad Tuesdays and have it on a Wednesday. That would be mad, wouldn't it? Okay. Um, the book is not quite available for sale yet. Um, but it will be. Everything I've said today is in the book. But it's about living in the presence of power where victory is assured. So, Father, I just want to thank you for the community of the church. I want to thank you for the community of the body of life. Yeah. I want to thank you for the presence. I want to thank you for the power. I want to thank you for all that Jesus has accomplished and I want to thank you, Father, that you've given us such an amazing future with Jesus. I thank you, Father, that just, this is just the first of many ages to come where we will become more and more like you, we'll become more and more uh, filled with you, more and more bearing your image in every circumstance of life. So, Father, Father, please come.